Well, good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bible, you can be turning to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and we'll meet there in just a few moments. We're thankful that you're here. It is so good to be together with the people of God. This may be about the biggest crowd we've had since the first uh, the summer when we began meeting again. Uh, which reminds me, a uh, pertinent time maybe to make a couple of recommendations to you. Uh, some folks worry about the crowd size, and of course we're still trying to, to uh, skip every other pew as we're assembled here together. So if I could offer uh, just three suggestions to you. Number one, maybe get here early uh, if you need to. Uh, also, in, maybe in connection with that, the, the front pew is usually open, by the way. It's not frowned upon either if you want to sit up here. As long as you're up here a little early, then it's all right. Uh, at the same time, you know, we have the fellowship hall here, and we'll turn the lights on for you if you want to as well. You maybe can sit in there to the side a little bit. Uh, and we've even talked before, and it might be possible that we start exploring the, uh, the possibility that we could even open up adult classroom number one and, and use the TV in there to help stream and don't know how that would work exactly with maybe a bit of a delay, but, but we would be willing to try it because we're thankful that you're here. We want you to be here. We're thankful for all those who are joining in online. And that's certainly a possibility, but it is good to be together. And many of you have got to experience that. Uh, we know how thankful we were when we began back on Wednesday night uh, and how encouraging it was during the middle of our week to get that little bit of a bump again to be back together and, and help us through the week. We want to do that. We want to experience that. But we also want to continue to be as careful as possible, uh, certainly headed into this time of year and the winter. We hope that everyone will be safe uh, during this time, but we're glad that we can be together this morning. You know, I struggle a lot sometimes uh, with what to preach on, you know, the idea that even now, just one time a week, I get to stand up here and proclaim God's Word. And, and so I went back and forth, even from the beginning of the year, what to preach on this particular Sunday. I don't know if you're aware that Tuesday's going to be a pretty big day in our country. Uh, and I went back and forth on whether or not to, to dabble in anything regarding elections or, or politics or that kind of thing. But in the end, I decided that I'm going to give you my three-point sermon in about three minutes. Now, don't expect all sermons to be three minutes or less going forward. But, but if I could offer you my three suggestions very quickly this morning. Number one, I hope that you'll vote. Uh, many of you have already. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the country we live in. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of turmoil. But as Christians, we have an opportunity to make our voice heard. And one way that we can do that is by voting. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that opportunity because we are thankful for the freedoms that we have here to be able to do that. Uh, number two, pray. Uh, pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray for everyone involved and certainly those that will take over after the election, uh, whoever it may be, not only the president, but certainly in Congress. Uh, it's hard, especially if it doesn't go your way or the way that you think it should go, but, but we need to pray. Um, we know the power of prayer, and it's certainly something that each one of us can do. Brian's always reminded of us that it's the least we can do in some way, and the most we can do in some ways is simply stop and pray. But I'd offer you number three. Remember. Remember that this world is not our home. Um, Tuesday, regardless of what happens, this world is not our home. Wednesday, regardless of what happens, this world is not our home. Monday, tomorrow, by the way, regardless of what happens, this world is not our home. Paul says it pretty importantly in Philippians chapter 3 and about verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we would do well to remember that. I hope that you keep up with the things that are going on in our world. I, I try the best that I can. It's, it's kind of frustrating at times. It gets a little hard uh, to listen and to watch. But we need to be involved. That's why I would say to vote, number one. 
But at the same time, we need to remember that regardless of what happens, this world is not our home. We're just passing through, and as difficult as things seem here, there's a place that is waiting for us that is beyond compare. Paul talks about it actually in Philippians chapter 1 when he reminds the folks there that he would, he would almost rather die. <laughs> I don't want to live in this world, and, and we love this world. We love our families, and we don't want to leave in some ways. But at the same time, we need to remember that to go and be with Jesus, to go be with Jesus one day, but to go into our eternal reward and paradise for a time, then into heaven, even as we talked about in our class Wednesday night, it's, it's a wonderful thought. And we need to keep that in mind above all things. Uh, I would suffice it to say or, or would suggest to you that, that some of you may recall four years ago or eight years ago or 16 years ago that, that we all kind of thought maybe things weren't going to go the way we thought they should go and the world was going to come to an end, and it didn't. And chances are good that it won't come Tuesday or Wednesday or the end of the year, what, however long it takes, and we would just do well to remember that. So don't expect that short of a sermon going forward, but uh, there you go. That's my three points for you as we think about the week that lies ahead, especially for our country and for Christians. Last year, about this time, I thought it would be interesting if we began looking at some Bible sermons. You know, I'm thankful to be able to preach, and I'm thankful to be able to put together lessons that cover different things, but at the same time, we can't do much better than, of course, the inspired Word of God. And to go back and think about some Bible sermons. And so a year ago, uh, some of you were here probably on that Sunday, but we talked about Paul's sermon before Agrippa. And I didn't title it Bible Sermons, going back and looking through our notes, but I, I titled it A Defense, Paul's Defense Before Agrippa. But it's essentially a Bible sermon. Paul has an opportunity to stand before a crowd and he preaches the gospel. I think it's interesting that we would consider from time to time the sermons that we read about on the pages of the New Testament. And we can think about them in their format. And while it's not the same as it is for us today, it can still be encouraging for us. This morning, we want to look at what's considered to be the first gospel sermon. Appreciate Cody's thoughts very much there as he led us in thinking about Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection. We consider that to be the gospel. And so it is when we come into Acts chapter 1, and we see that there are 11 men at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 who are gathered together, but they're waiting. They're waiting because in John chapter 16, Jesus told them to wait. You may recall in John 14, the passage that we all love, where Jesus talks about that if I go, I go and prepare a place for you. Well, in John 16, as he's talking to those 11, those men who are gathered there, he says, I'm going to go, and I must go in order that I would send the Comforter, that I would send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And so as we think about him making that promise, when we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4, we see specifically that those men are gathered, and they're gathered in Jerusalem. And they're waiting, the Bible would say. They're waiting for that promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. We've talked a little bit recently about the fact that Jesus then ascends, he ascends there in Acts chapter 1, and they're left waiting and watching, and the promise is made that Jesus would return again as you have seen him go there in Acts chapter 1. And there are some other things that take place there. But we go over into Acts chapter 2, and we find this first gospel sermon. We're going to read it in its entirety in just a few moments. But as we think about exactly what takes place there, it would benefit us to consider the things that are going on around it. Even as we're gathered here this morning, we think about the sermon that's taking place. 
we can think about what takes place there in that moment on that great day. And so first of all, we begin about thinking about the setting. In Acts chapter 2, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is the day of Pentecost. There were three feasts that the Jews, major feasts that the Jews partook of. Uh, one was t- speaking of the Day of Atonement. The second one that we're familiar with, very familiar with, is the Passover. And so we all know about the Passover and the story of the Passover. And they would enjoy this day of the Passover. But 50 days after the, day, the observance of the Passover, they would then observe the day of Pentecost. That's what we're talking about here. The Bible tells us very specifically that it is the day of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Well, notice there, we don't have the time to to read it all in Acts chapter 1, that there were 11, but they're going to choose another to again make 12, the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples. And so verse number 1 of chapter 2 tells us that part of this setting is that they are all together in one place and in one accord. They're in Jerusalem. We read that or mentioned that just a moment ago from Acts chapter 1. It is the day of Pentecost, and it is about 9 o'clock in the morning. So roughly maybe about the same time that we are together here. We see that in just a few moments when Peter talks about it being the third hour in verse number 15. Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost... And about 9 o'clock, about the third hour of the day, is the setting in which this sermon, this great gospel sermon, is going to take place. But let's go a little further. Number two, let's think about the audience. Who's hearing this sermon? Well, the audience, we know from verse number 1, is that those 12 are gathered there. But then from verse number 14, or excuse me, uh, verse number 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, Devout men out of every nation under heaven. Go down to verse number 9, and we get a bit of a flavor, if you will, of those that were gathered there. Verse number 9, Perinthians, Medes, and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, Pontus, and in Asia, Pergia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, and even into verse 11, Cretes and Arabians. What a crowd that's assembled here. It's interesting because it's actually kind of the opposite of what we're experiencing in this year, right? I mean, you see crowds like the Super Bowl or, or things like that in the past, the, the largest crowd maybe that you can imagine. That's what's gathered here on this day. In fact, you probably heard it said, and I think that I've said it before, Many would guesstimate that there may have been upwards of a million people, maybe not in that moment standing around hearing this sermon, but a million or so people, a million to two million even, gathered in the city for this celebration, this day of Pentecost. And in a year where we've lost our crowds and we're not able to be together, what a concept to consider all of these folks who were there. There's about 15 nations that we just read at least 15 nations that are mentioned there specifically, of these folks who are gathered. Now in verse 5 it says, devout men from every nation under heaven. Certainly men were not the only folks who were gathered in the city at that time. We understand from a biblical reference in that time that that oftentimes men are mentioned, but when we factor in women and children, we're talking about a pretty good-sized crowd. Definitely one that's hard to imagine for us 
in the year 2020. But that's the audience who is gathered here at this time. And if you'll you know, put a pin there for just a minute, we're going to come back in just a second and talk about exactly what they go through as they gather together. It's a sermon, so it's going to benefit us to think about the preachers or the preacher or preachers. In this case, it's more than one. And I'm not suggesting that we begin to have 11 or 12 men stand up here at one time as they did there in Acts chapter 2. But you may be familiar as we read verse 1 that they're together. But look at verse number 14. Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them. So this is not just a preacher, but preachers. And it's interesting to consider. Maybe 12 men standing there. And of course, in, in our instance here, a stage full of men who are all preaching. And it's interesting because as we talked a moment ago about John 16 and Jesus prom promising that he would send the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. It's not like they all sat down the night before and got their lesson together. It's not that they all made sure that they had the same teleprompter that they could all see and, and read the same uh, sermon text word for word. But they're all gathered there together. And they're all going to be preaching this sermon. And so as part of the setting, we think about these preachers who are gathered here and going to be speaking. But before we get into the actual text of the sermon for just a moment, we think about the audience and we think about the preachers. Let's, let's go back and, and think about the whole setting again for just a moment. You see, before the sermon can begin, there's something that needs to be discussed. There's a bit of an objection. Now, once again, I would submit that I hope it's a suggestion we never have to encounter in 2020, right? I, I think I can do my part to ensure that this is never a question that we have. But there is an objection here. Let's go back and cover a little bit of ground that we've kind of skipped over. Look at Acts 2 in verse number 2. They're all together in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So let's get back to the exact moment here. The twelve are together in some place, or one place, and this sound happens, and this appearance occurs of the tongue of fire, or like a, a tongue of fire above their heads, and Jesus' promise comes true in the sense that then they began to speak by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But notice what it said there in verse number 6. Verse 5 talks about that audience, but have you ever noticed in verse 6, now when this was noised abroad, the version that you're looking at may say, when these people, these devout men heard this, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed, verse 7, and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. So put yourself in the position for just a minute. What occurs, and I don't know that we've always considered this, is the twelve are together and this multitude is together in some form or fashion, but this is a sound that everyone can hear. And when this mighty rushing wind is sounded, the multitude seems to shrug their shoulders, look at each other, wonder what it is, and then come to and come together and find the twelve. 
And they hear what presents this objection on their behalf. They hear every one, all 12 of them speaking in a language in which they can understand. And they're looking at each other as we might if we were in England or France or somewhere where there's a lot of different people. Man, even New York City sometimes. You look around and, and everybody's speaking something different. But yet they're understanding these 12 men to speak. We use the phrase sometimes speaking in tongues. And, and it's not jibber-jabber, we might say. It's not something that's just gibberish that you can't understand. They're understanding what these guys are saying. That's kind of an important factor. But yet at the same time, as would occur when we hear gibberish or we hear someone who's speaking in Spanish or French or some other language, we look at somebody and say, what's wrong with you? And in this case, they would say, are you guys drunk? Have you been drinking? I don't understand you. What is, what is this, this that you're saying? And so there's this objection that must be handled before Peter's going to get into this sermon. And so in verse number 12, they're still amazed. They're still interested in what's being said here. And they, but they were also in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And some others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. And so with the stage set... A large crowd gathered together, 12 men standing in front, speaking in different languages, but yet being able to be understood. Verse 14 says, and if you want to follow along, please do. If you want to listen, please do. If you want to close your eyes and listen, please do. Beginning, beginning in verse number 14, Peter standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice, and he says unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these men are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be beholden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, 
neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended unto, into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord sit unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now it's interesting when we hear Peter's sermon there that it doesn't quite make sense, of course, in our language. But it's the same thing that Cody read to us just a few moments ago that the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, a three-point sermon. Number one, Jesus of Nazareth was a man. He came in the likeness of man and he was approved by God. Many of them had witnessed the things that he had done because Peter would go forth to say there in chapter 2 that he's approved by God by the signs and the miracles and the wonders by which he did. We know that the purpose of miracles was to confirm the message or the message that was given by the messenger there. As Jesus is able to work these miracles, he is man. He is God in the form of man and he is approved by God. He lived here upon this earth. And what's interesting, of course, is as Peter is speaking, he had lived among them. It had just been days since, of course, he was crucified and buried and rose. And so he had lived right then and there. And Peter's sermon, his gospel sermon, begins with Jesus, a man approved by God. Number two, the point of the sermon is, you crucified him. You crucified him. We live in a world where the sermons, we oftentimes say, tend to get a little feel good. We like to think about love. We want to be encouraged by sermons, and that's true. But the first gospel sermon was pretty pointed. It was pretty to the fact. It was pretty accusatory. And guess what? They were guilty. And guess what? We are guilty. We're guilty of crucifying Him. It's our sin that hung Him there as we sometimes sing the words of different songs. We don't like sermons that step on our toes, but here is the first gospel sermon that's going to step on toes. Jesus lived and you crucified Him. He was dead. He was in the ground or in the grave. But number three, God raised Him from the dead. You know, we give preachers a hard time sometimes about preaching three-point sermons. This one might be broken up into a few more, but it's pretty interesting that it pretty much breaks down to Jesus lived, you killed him, and God raised him. Three simple points for them to consider here in this moment. You killed him, but that wasn't the end. God raised him. 
How encouraging it is to think about that. In fact, He gives them proof. He says not only is the empty grave proof, but we're standing here today. Peter says there that it, was, it is this. It is these things. Number, verse number 32, he said, we are all witnesses. Number one, we are all witnesses to His resurrection. But the end of verse number three, uh, 33, which ye now see and hear, this that we are experiencing here, is a reminder that He said He would rise and go, and if He went, He would send the Holy Spirit. And here the Holy Spirit is, by guidance, guiding us into all truth, telling us the things which we need to know. You know, I don't know if they took offense in John 16 when Jesus told him, told them that He would send the Holy Spirit, but in essence He's saying, your memory's not good enough. You're not going to be able to remember all these things, so I will send the Comforter. I will send the Helper to guide you into all truth. And here on this great day, we see it in action. And they're able to preach this great gospel sermon. He lived. He died. You killed Him. And He rose again. God was able to raise Him from the dead. And as more proof, in this sermon, Peter references David. They love David. Their ancestor David. They reference David. Peter says, well, if you're listening to David and you believe David, David prophesied that this was going to take place. And you can look and you can see that. And here is this great day. Here is this great sermon. And like any great sermon, there comes an end to that sermon. And then there has to be, of course, the response. It's interesting to think about the fact that we know what takes place in an audible physical sense and that they say men and brethren what shall we do we even know from an internal sense that it says that their response is they were cut to the heart but you know people debate sometimes another interesting thing for us to consider in our modern sermons some folks believe that these men and brethren interrupted peter Peter's just rolling right along through that sermon. He's not done yet, even though he's through his three points, and they stop him. I don't know if that's the case or not. Most of us would be mortified, maybe myself included, if somebody jumped up and tried to interrupt the sermon during our day and time. But it's interesting to consider the fact that their response internally of being cut to the heart, which we know by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows they were cut to the heart. But whether or not they interrupted Peter or not, it really doesn't matter. But it's interesting to consider that being cut to the heart might have caused them to say, wait a minute, preacher, just a second. There's a problem here, and we need to do something about it. They ask the question that we oftentimes consider there. Men and brethren, what shall we do? They're pricked in their heart. They're cut to the heart. And they're going to ask the question. We know what Peter says there in verse number 38. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, before you think that all sermons should be as short as the earlier one or as just reading Peter's, notice it says in verse number 40, and with many other words, all right? So I don't know if he kept going or not, but I, and I, we don't know how long it was, but he said some more things there. With many other words, he encouraged them and he exhorted them. If you've got your bulletin in front of you, you're going to see something along the lines of, of this. And, and when I say my response, I'm not really interested in, in my response. If you've got a bulletin in front of you, I, I wrote it that way, had faith put it that way, to ask you as you look down and see that line to consider your response. 
Now, whether or not you actually go through and circle one or the other or not, doesn't really matter, because you're making a choice in your heart even this moment, what would be your response even there at that moment? You know, we oftentimes rejoice in Acts chapter 2 when we see in verse number 41 that they, some, gladly received his word, and the same gladly received his word and were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. Praise God. Three thousand souls were baptized or about that. If you recall back to the beginning, we sometimes forget that three thousand out of one to two million is a pretty small number. Praise God, three thousand souls or about three thousand souls were baptized, but there were many who chose to be inactive who chose to, as I tried to say it, maybe for the best for us, ignore. Can you imagine being on the outskirts of that crowd, hearing this sermon in your own tongue, whether it's Peter or someone else, in your own language? And as Peter concludes that sermon, and somebody in the crowd says, what shall we do? And Peter tells them what to do. You say, that's kind of interesting, but i got other things i got to get to. I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and excuse myself. In every sermon, there's a choice, a moment of action. Will you believe and act, or will you ignore? Maybe you recall at the end of Acts chapter 7, there's another great sermon. It's a much longer one that I'd like for us to consider at some point. Stephen preaches this great sermon going all the way back to the Old Testament and paving the way for Jesus. But at the end, those guys, those folks are cut to their heart, and they murder the preacher. You see, everybody's cut to their heart to some extent, but what's interesting to consider is the reaction. Some people murder the preacher. Some people believe and they act. Some people simply choose to ignore. We try our best around here to preach the gospel. The sermon's not always simply about Jesus. But when we think about Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, as as those are going around preaching the word, we see that as Philip meets the Ethiopian nobleman on the road, the Bible says by inspiration, he preached unto him Jesus. That's what we want to do in its simplicity. It comes down to a sermon like this. He lived, you crucified him, but God raised him. And with that raising, we have an opportunity to hear the same words. You know what's so great and interesting about that sermon there in Acts chapter 2? Is that the same words that Peter said, if he could stand here this day, he could say the same words. I can say the same words. Any, any man who stood up here can say the same words and you can do the same thing that they did. Here, ask the question, what do I need to do? And then follow the simple plan of salvation. You know, Peter had a three-point sermon. He didn't use the five plans of salvation that we oftentimes talk about, but those things are still true. He mentions, of course, repenting of sin being baptized for the remission of sins. But we know from other places, such as the Ethiopian nobleman, that we make that good confession that Jesus is Lord. Jesus made the promise that if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. It's something that one must do in order to be a follower of Christ. So you may not be at the very top of this list of things that a person must do. You may be somewhere else. You may have believed for a long time. Then you fall into where Peter said on that day, believe or as he said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Even as the screen says there, Acts chapter 2 and verses 41 and 47, the Lord will add you to his church. I mean, 2,000 years later, the same exact thing can happen. It's amazing to consider that fact. 
the Lord will add you to His church just as He did to those 3,000 or so souls on that day. I can't preach it as good as Peter. It doesn't even quite make as much sense in our language as it does when we read it on the pages of the Bible. But the, the fundamental message is still the same. You can become a Christian. You can be added to the church by the Lord. Or maybe you're here, and you know what's interesting? Another great sermon is preached in a very much simpler fashion there later in the book of Acts when they encourage those, including the sorcerer there, who had done wrong to turn back to God. To turn back unto Him to repent of sin and confess that sin to God and pray for forgiveness and God is faithful. We sometimes refer to it as God's second law of pardon. Because as great as that day is when you are baptized, none of us are going to be perfect. As great as it is to be added to the church, we read on the pages of the New Testament multiple times where you can turn away and you can be lost again. As great as once saved, always saved sounds to us, it's not biblical. And we need to realize that sometimes we can turn away and we need to turn back to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in that category. You've heard that great gospel sermon. You've responded. You've been obedient. you become a Christian, added to the church, but you've wandered away. The group here, though not numbering in the millions, is assembled together. We select songs that through its words we might encourage one another. We sing to encourage one another. That if you need to become a Christian or come back to Him, you would make that change even now as we stand together and as we sing.